This morning, good morning, welcome back to all of you. There is uh, regular coffee this morning. <clears throat> all of you who were concerned last night about the decaf, um, it's morning for goodness sakes. It's time for regular coffee, so uh, we've got it out there for you. All of us who have raised kids know that one of our tasks when they are young is to help them learn to communicate emotion appropriately. They, they do emotion, of course, from the time they're born. Uh, that's why they're crying when they're wet or hungry. It's emotion and anger sometimes at you. But as they grow, one of your jobs as a parent is to help them identify emotion and uh, respond to whatever that emotion is uh, appropriately. Um, often we say things to our children like, uh, use your words, right? Use your words. Tell me how you're feeling. And this is the task. Now, this task, of course, is made far more difficult as we get older. Uh, it's true for kids, too, but it's more complicated, I think. When things come into our lives that, that stir us emotionally, um, and once again, we're like the child who doesn't know the right thing to do with that. There are things that make us how do I say it? Really angry. Sometimes it's a, it's a dramatic wrong. And what do you do with that? Uh, interacting recently with a, an angry teenager, and sometimes it's true with adults, what do you do? People do a lot of things with anger that's intense. You, you, know, the, you know the struggle. Um, I know you do. But it's on my mind a lot. What do you do? Um, trying to say, tell me about that. Tell me how that hurt when a person can't talk about it. it. It's very, very hard. So why would we start this morning talking about God as the most angry person in the Bible? <laughs> Man, that just seems to like validate all of our worst fears. Um, I, I, want to, I want to say a couple things just about the topic. Uh, why would we do this? Man, that just seems counterproductive, counterintuitive. Um, there are several things, and we'll follow up on this at the end, and I want you to be watching for these because these are our discussion points in a bit. So, heads up. Um, I, I'm wanting us to look for things that we learn about God and I'm wanting us to be looking for things that we learn about our anger and how our anger is different from, from God's, okay? Among the reasons to talk about the, the wrath of God, and it's in the Bible a lot, uh, it's also a point of apologetic, meaning people often ask about that. And the God of the Old Testament, people often say, is pretty angry. So you want to tell me not to be angry? Well, God gets angry. So what about that? So I think it's good to talk about. But there, there are a lot of things that we want to look at here this morning. And so I hope you have your theological you know, thinking cap on. I hope you're not a slow starter. You know, like the caffeine will kick in in about an hour. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, you, hopefully you're here. I want to pray for us. And then I know you, hopefully I mentioned to you, bring a Bible. There are, you've got it on your, your phone or whatever it is as well. Extra Bibles in the foyer if you, if you need a hard copy. But there's some things we're going to look at together today as we reflect on God, 
theological issues here, but pray with me, if you would, please. Let's ask God's help as we come. Our Father, this business of doing life, this side of heaven, uh, always seems to come with struggle. Some of it is with the environment around us or the people around us. Some of it's in our relationship with you, honestly. And some of it is with that person we look at in the mirror in the morning, doing life with that person, with us, managing ourselves, managing our joys and our hurts and our sorrows and and trying somehow to do so in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you and doesn't hurt other people. And this morning, our Father, especially as we jump into a, what I, I guess is a highly theological area, it's going to take a little bit of work and reflection. Would you help us? Help us to think sharply and clearly and biblically and in looking at the mirror of your word to not only see you rightly, but in looking at you that we'd see ourselves rightly too. We're made in your image. So help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to start in the book of Numbers. This is not in your notes. So if you're thinking, um, and Maggie, you asked me last night, are all the texts in the notes? And then I, as soon as you left, I changed it. So um, Numbers, I want to start in Numbers um, because I want to visit a moment where we're told right in the text that God is angry. And I want us to just look briefly at why. This is in keeping with this first slide that you have in front of you. Um, that defines some of the ways and reasons for God to be angry. But you come to Numbers, and I'm going to start reading it at chapter 11, but I'm going to just mention uh, the context, because the context is everything for the book of Numbers. Of course, part of the Pentateuch, uh, this is part of the journey out of of Exodus, uh, the Exodus out of Egypt, of course. And um, if you read the very first part of Numbers, uh, chapter 1, a couple verses in, it tells you the chronology, and that's what I'm, I think is so important. It says it's in the second year since they left Egypt. Okay, what does that mean? Why is that so important? Um, well, what happened when they left Egypt? What, they, what, hap- what did they see to get out of Egypt? Huh? Man, the power of God, the plagues, and and this is an amazing time. I mean, if there was ever any doubt in the minds of those people in Egypt, uh, if God was real, I mean, plague after plague and bugs and darkness and gnats and water turned to blood, and, and then the Passover, death for those who did not mark their house with the blood of the Lamb. Amazing. And God delivered them as the... Old Testament says over and again, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And then they came to the Red Sea. Okay, how cool is that? Uh, The parting of the Red Sea is one of those things that when we get to heaven, I just hope that there's like a big video player, you know what I mean, where you can go to the the library and say, oh, parting the Red Sea, and just watch it. I, I think it would be, I would love to spend some time in eternity hanging out with folks and watching some of these other parts especially if it involves me, uh, uh, not in the library. Um, But I'm hoping that some of these big events are in the library and I could go and watch the parting of the Red Sea. Walking through the water, walls of water, fish swimming. I don't know how that that was, but amazing. Ever a moment when you say there's a living God, here it is. So it says it's in the second year. So what happened in those intervening years? Well, uh, the year they went to Mount Sinai and the place shook and God gave the the Ten Commandments that's kind of cool so it's just happened 
So when you come to Numbers 11, what in the world? Why are we reading this? The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Which misfortunes are those? You just got delivered from Egypt, baby. I mean, a year, year and a half ago. What are you doing? They complained about the, their misfortunes and the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called uh, Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, the rabble that was among them, who's that? Well, hopefully not us. Uh, rabble, a very descriptive term. They had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said, now watch this, what are they complaining about? Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this, how'd they say it? This manna to look at. Okay, what is the manna? I don't mean the bread. We, we got that. What, what is it? It's God's provision. It's God's gift to you today. Is it what you want? Not necessarily. You want more. So there is a, there is a gross dissatisfaction with what God has given for today. Okay, do you live in this text ever? Come on. Dissatisfaction with what God has given today. Yes, I do too. I do too. Lord, why haven't you given something different? I've asked. Why haven't you given me something more? I've asked. So, why this manna? What is your provision? Why this? Well, uh, we're remembering other things. We're forgetting other things in verse 5, aren't we? Verse 5 is forgetting a lot. Because the free food came at a high cost, didn't it? Cost of slavery. Well, I, I look at this text now, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip a page or two, uh, however it goes for you, to chapter 14. Go here again. Uh, more of the same, more of the same. The spies going into the promised land. Okay. Um, the spies have come back from the promised land. Ten said no, two said yes, according to walk through the Bible. And in chapter 14 then, the congregation raised a loud voice and the people wept that night at the bad report of the, two, of the ten spies. They said it's going to be too hard to go. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So they went after the leaders. Who'd have thought? The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader, as in a different leader, and go back to Egypt. What are we doing here? Well, we're forgetting redemption, forgetting God's salvation. 
We're longing for the days of slavery, the familiar days of slavery again. Forgetting that God, who delivered in the past, can yet deliver tomorrow. Now, uh, Moses and Aaron then, I've got more to read. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with, with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They're bread for us. I love that. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregations had to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? In other words, it's not about you, Moses. It's me. How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I'll strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For you brought up the people in your might from among them. They'll tell the inhabitants of this land. They've heard of you, O Lord, and are in the, that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of, or a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you kill this people as one man, then the nations who've heard your fame will say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he's killed them in the wilderness. Now please let the power of the Lord be great. Look at all this. Let the power of the Lord be great as you've promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Okay, then there's a judgment that comes. All these people who've rebelled against me aren't going in. There's judgment, there's justice, verse 22. So why is God angry here? Is he right to be angry? Well, you know the answer to that. But why is he angry? Go ahead, talk to me here. Why is he angry? Wow, completely, yeah. God had provided. And they said, not, not good enough. Not good enough for my standard. Your standard, God does not meet my standard. You imagine that? Thank you, Lord, but salvation isn't enough. I need a little, little more love here. I mean... How else would you like to say that? Why, why was God angry? Any comments on Moses here? He wants to be appreciated. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not feeling the love either, is he, Noel? <laughs> oh. This is where I live. Just if you see how they do the breakfast at the hotel, you'd know what I mean. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, good. The people were nice. But watch out for the mushy bananas, Noel. Yes, 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 yes. 
Noel came down from Seattle to be with us. Good. Always good to have you with us. Yeah, you got to watch the mushy bananas. I mean, the food isn't up to it, is it? At least the people were nice. Yeah. God said, Moses, step back. This is one of those moments, and there's this interchange that takes place in the book of Numbers, um, where on a number of occasions, God says, hey, Moses, you want me just to wipe out the whole crowd, start over? I'll give you, I'll give you a whole new group to lead. Really? Yeah, John. It occurs to me, Jay, that also what Noel was saying, they were looking at the manna, and instead of asking God or asking Moses directly for, Lord, you know, what about some meat? They went straight to trouble. Yes, yes. You're right. They didn't ask for a change of menu, did they? Not that it would have come. But they could have at least have asked nicely. It's what we tell our children. I, I may say no. You might not get a pony. But you can at least ask in a nice way. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it under advisement. Uh, we say, huh, we'll ask Santa Claus. Uh, I asked Jesus. He said no. Um, something, something like that. I, I'd like you to uh, think with me slowly through this next slide. And I want you to notice the wisdom of a guy who lived a long, long time before any counseling classes were offered. Thomas Aquinas, I gave you his dates, 12, 25, what could these guys possibly know? Uh-huh, well, <laughs> I'd like you to think about this. I'm not saying he's got the final word, and I am giving you the, the uh, footnote there. It comes from this book called Glittering Vices. Um, Rebecca DeYoung, interesting, little book on anger, well whole bunch of different vices, seven deadly sins and their remedies. One of those, I read the chapter on anger. And she mentions this quote from Thomas Aquinas, who says, wrath's disordered expression can be in three categories. We get angry too easily. And again, I want you to think about God. Okay? We get angrier than we should. That is disproportionate to the offense. It was spilled milk, for goodness sakes. Or we stay angry too long. Now just reflect on that for a minute. I mean, do you, do you find those things to be true of you? I, every now and then, read articles in the newspaper or somewhere else and it flies by me, and I think, man, I should, have, I should have noted that someplace, copied it, cataloged it. But I remember distinctly a, a news article I read some years ago. It was in the Tacoma News Tribune. And um, it seems that a family uh, had a, some kind of dispute that involved a hairdryer. It, when you read about it later, it sounds so trivial. A hairdryer. Really? Uh, a hairdryer that ended up... Uh, being a uh, you know a point to begin a conversation and then an argument and then it escalates and the hairdryer now is used as a tool of assault and somebody goes to jail and the newspaper report is about argument about hairdryer lands local man in jail you don't want that said about you do you a hairdryer because forever you're going to be now I mean everybody at work will torture you if you're in the military, you'll never hear the end of it. Oh, the hairdryer man. Here he comes. Better put the hairdryers away. They're going to let you know. But isn't that often the way things go? Uh, something is the point. It's flashpoint. And there's something underlying, and we're already half irritated. And it's not about the hairdryer or the flat tire or the spilled milk or the whatever. It's not about that. 
It's really about this. And it's lit on fire by that moment. Well, I think Thomas Aquinas is onto something here. We get angry too easily. What did we read about God? Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Yeah. Angrier than we should. Yeah, that's our problem. Angry too long. How is that different from God's wrath? Well, I'd like you to reflect on that. Now, for the next couple of slides, I'm going straight to Paulison. Okay? If you have this book uh, and you opened, say, to chapter 9, which is on page 104, 105, I'm going to be turning pages for the next two chapters, chapters 9 and 10. So if you look at my slides and say, boy, that's, I think it says Paulison there. Um, it does. Um, you'll wonder where that is. Well, it's chapters 9 and 10. And I, I think his observations here are, are worth just thinking about together. And as with last night, there are a whole number of these that I'd like to just hear. And you're here, you've got a Bible, um, you don't mind reading out loud, or at least many of you don't. Others of you would prefer not to, and if you're, again, if you're watching this later, you might not hear all the texts read, but uh, the texts are on the screen that, that you're going to hear, or that we're going to hear in this room. So if you would just be prepared to, to hear these. I, I'm wanting to read them because I love to hear the Word of God. Uh, I also like to have a slowdown enough to really listen. So Paulison's going to say several things here about God's anger. And that first, of course, God's slow to anger and, and at the same time quick to show mercy. So I'm wanting to hear these texts that give evidence of that. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 to 7. Again, we're going to jump into each of these contexts, but I'd love to have somebody volunteer to read that loud and clearly, if you would do that. Yes, Carl, you got it. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Thank you for that, Carl. And before we go to the next one, um, I think I was hearing this from... Richard, last night, I think, I don't remember your, your source for that, but um, you, you mentioned that a conversation about how people in America tend to ask how a, how a good God can send anybody to hell. And people in other countries tend to ask how a just God can get anybody into heaven. Isn't that interesting? Um, we we, we uh, think different in our country based on all that we have. Who, where, I forget. Tim Keller. Tim Keller. Making Sense of God. His book, Making Sense of God. Yes. I, I found that very interesting. I'll have to look that up in its source and look at the rest of it. Yeah. Wow. How could a good God... God is a God of justice. Sometimes people read about uh, statements like we just heard, um, by no means clear the guilty, and we think, well, how come God doesn't just say, oh, you know, forget it? 
just, just never mind. It doesn't matter what you do. I mean, just let it go. Let it go. Why, why must there be atonement? Well, justice requires it. And may I say, you do too. You do too. You do too. And you're not nearly as just as God. What I mean by that is, let's just say tomorrow, uh, forget tomorrow. Today, you walk out there and your car's gone. I mean, somebody, somebody stole your car. <laughs> it's, it's gone. <laughs> I come to you and say, you know what? Just, just forget it. How are you going to do with that? No, you want, you, you, for one, you want your car back. And second, you want the person who did it to get his little or her little hiney back down there at the county jail. You do. Because, I mean, come on. Uh, your own heart. If we just said, oh, you know, it's all right. Let it go. You wouldn't buy it from it. And you're not, you and I, we're not nearly as just as God. Um, no, it would, be, it would not be just for God to say, eh, never mind, no big deal. It is a big deal to despise God. All right, Psalm 145, let's keep hearing these. Psalm 145, 8 and 9, who has that? Yes, Ms. Pat. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding Yes, good. And then especially listen to these, uh, Luke 6, 35 to 36 has another little, uh, takes a little further. Somebody have that. Luke 6. Yes, Teresa. He is kind to the ungrateful. You see that? He, he is. The Lord is slow to anger, quick to show mercy, kind to those who despise him. Mercy. He sends rain on the just and the unjust, I think is in Matthew's gospel. God is slow to anger as opposed to ours. Second, God is fair-minded. God's anger is fair-minded, sorry. His anger always rises for a good reason. And again, I'm in chapter 9, um, bottom of page 107. And if you have the book in front, you can just kind of browse where I, where I took all of that from and some of the context. His anger always rises for a good reason. That's at the bottom of 108. It's never a fit or a spasm or a bad hair day. It's never brooding hostility. Um, one of our... One of our most common ways to see anger is when it when it hits a flashpoint right and something happens and now it's over you know now there's hell to pay there's anger boom okay and the reminder here is no no god never loses it isn't that good to know there's never a day God, you know, he loves you, he loves you. And then there's a moment when you cross the line one more time and he says, okay, that's it. Woodshed, you are going to so regret the day you were born. That's, I mean, that's, the, that's kind of our picture. And God's anger, God's wrath is, is not, decidedly not like that. God never loses it. There's never an out of control moment. There's never a moment where he grabs a belt and just says, okay where you wonder if you're going to live through the day. No, 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 no. Not at all. Some texts to think about. Deuteronomy 29, 
24 to 28. Yes. And all the nations shall say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? The men shall say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods to whom, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Wow. Now, that's part of a lengthy, lengthy conversation. The point of which is, is encapsulated in that little paragraph Specifically, God didn't just lose it when he brought punishment to bear. There was a long and storied pattern of rejection of him again and again and again. And there had been warning and there had been warning and uh, upon warning. And then came the moment when God said, okay, it's a day of consequence. But it wasn't that he just all of a sudden snapped. That text is telling a story. Here's, here's a story of repeated 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 rejection right romans 1 18 to 20 this is a text by the way one of our key texts tomorrow morning at church so you can yeah during a certain section of the sermon now not go to sleep but you'll know you'll know what it's about romans 1 18 to 20 please yes pat god shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the, wor- for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Okay. Yes, the anger of God... Or the wrath of God, ESV, revealed from heaven. But there's a reason given. That's what I'm after in that text. There's a reason given. And it's not a lighthearted one. It's not, you guys irritated me today. You looked at me cross-eyed. It isn't that. There's a decided reason for, for God's anger. And it's right and just. All right? And then Ephesians 5, 3 to 6. And I, you, you'll notice I wanted to include both Old Testament and New because I would not want anybody to think that God's wrath only shows up in the Old Testament. That isn't true. So Ephesians 5, 3 to 6, who has that for us? Yes, Richard. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh, Through six. Yes. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And especially verse six, because it points out the connection. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes. 
It, it isn't capricious. It's not just God having a bad day. It's not God in a bad mood. Um, a, a, a theological issue for you to wrestle with, okay? Um, you, you, if you jump into a good theology course where you're asked to wrestle specifically, specifically with the theology of God, uh, your professor will at some point say this. Uh, when, when we operate in our lives, sometimes we operate a little more in one area, or like a little more loving and then kind of irritated and then, oh boy, extra patience. We're kind of like that in contrast to God who always is, always is loving, always is patient, always is angry at sin. So God isn't like us. We are not like him in the sense that we kind of operate in maybe, maybe a little more strong in one area without the others. So you would not say of God at this moment that he's showing his wrath. He's not acting lovingly. You wouldn't say that. That would be to accuse God of, well, being less than God. At that same moment that he's expressing wrath toward a certain type of sin, uh, rebellion against him, he is at the same time bathed in mercy and love, never less than. So even when God is acting in wrath or punishment or consequence time, it's not, you wouldn't say, well, this isn't a good time for me to address him because he's mad like you. You might say, you better, I better come back to this later. <laughs> he's out of it or she's lost it. Uh, we'll wait till he, he or she calms down. No, no, actually, God is always 100% all of who he is. So in the midst of a moment, uh, where's the text? In wrath, remember mercy. Um, Habakkuk, I think. There's some anger taking place. God's judgment. I think it's there um, where Habakkuk appeals to God in wrath. I just remember the phrase, in wrath, O God, during your wrath, remember mercy. Uh, Because he does. He does that. Even in a time of wrath outpouring, he is still a merciful God. So those those are differences to draw. Okay, chapter 10, moving along. Again, wanting to think theologically about wrath, about anger, and looking at God here. Shifting to Paulus in chapter 10. Thinking theologically, then uh, I am on, I'm on page 116. Paulus enlists these things. The anger that your sin deserves fell on Jesus. There's a theological truth for you. So when God deals with us in discipline, he is not dealing with us in punishment for your sin. Can you wrap your mind around that, please? Sometimes people think about this when they read a text like Hebrews 12, where it talks about God disciplining And they mistake God's disciplining hand for punishment for sin. And this is a massive theological error on our part. Okay? Because your sin, believer, was judged at the cross. God's wrath fully satisfied. Okay? That doesn't mean consequences don't come, but that's not the same thing as being 
punished for your sin. There are huge differences for this. So, so wrap your mind around that. If you, when you do something you ought not do, act like you ought not, um, spend your days grumbling and just and a lack of gratitude or whatever it is the deal is for you, um, and then you get a flat tire. And then you get another flat tire. And then it rains. Rones your picnic. Yeah, yeah, karma, people say. Or from a Christian angle, they say, uh-huh, uh-huh. God is judging me for my sin. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in one of his books, and I wish I could give you the title, um, he has a chapter, it, this, look it up, I, I've referenced this in some of our other biblical counseling classes, uh, the chapter is called Good Day, Bad Day. It's funny, I remember the, the name of the chapter, but not the book. Um, possibly the discipline of grace, but it's got Good Day, Bad Day, and he's pressing on this point, and he's, he sets up a good day, where you get up, in the morning, early, on time, have your devotions with your cup of coffee, just kind of love Jesus, you and him, warm-hearted, you head off to work, and it's great, and you leave early, and the traffic's good, and, and things like that, and, and your, your, your heart is feeling like, I did good today. I got up on time, I spent time with Jesus, and you know, I mean, come on, we're close. Then you have a bad day, where you sleep into the last minute, the alarm, and you hit snooze, you know, four times, not that we do that anymore with our phones, but um, you sleep in way too late, uh, you get up at three, it's late, you squeal off, no time for devotion, sorry God, off you go, traffic's awful, and you're kind of expecting it to be awful, because you ignored God this morning, almost like God is sitting there going, uh-huh, no devotions, no love. See, uh-huh, didn't pray this morning. Uh, and we, th- he, Bridges is saying, we think like this. If I behave, God is nicer to me. If I don't behave, God is going to, you know, flat tires and bad hair and I get fired or something. It's going to be, and in this, Bridges would say, and I would concur here, we err. We err. When we think that God treats us less kindly punishes us for our sin. No, our sin was judged at the cross. Your object of his love, every day you draw breath, you are loved by him. The beloved, this is you. You are. You're an object of his grace, his kindness. Now, of course, yes, we quickly say, yeah, but what about, I know, I read Hebrews 12 too. God's, God's disciplining hand, but it's not punishment for your sin. And there's a difference, and you know it. You know the difference. Um, God's anger fell on Jesus. To law on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Um, Isaiah 53, uh, that great song of the suffering servant. I, I hope you read it well. I hope you know it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And all the way through that text. I, I, I'd like to read Matthew, the text that's here, and First Peter. First uh, Peter, as you'll see tomorrow morning uh, in our time in God's Word as well. I'd like us to hear Matthew 27. This is one of the gospel accounts of Jesus on the cross. And I just want us to visit that moment and remember the time when God's wrath was poured out on our sin in the person of his son 
So we step into the gospel narrative of the death of Jesus. And I'd love to have somebody read for us this um, holy account, holy moment. Matthew 27, 45 to 54. If someone would read that for us, please. Yes, Carol. And from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, yeah, Do your best. Yeah. Perfect. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on the food and gave it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. That's good right there. Yeah, thank you. What an amazing moment. It's hard for us to, to wrap our, our minds around this. Um, Jesus hanging on a cross. My sin upon his shoulder, as the songwriter says. And the wrath of God poured out. Wow. First Peter 2.24. Somebody has that. Where is it? Yes, Jana. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Excellent. Thank you. He bore our sins. Yes, he did. You'll see that again, as I said, tomorrow. So thinking theologically about God's wrath, probably the pinnacle of that uh, was when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Now, Pallison goes to number two there, or second. God's anger works to disarm the power of your sin because he loves us. He's angry at our self-destructive sinfulness. Now, I'm on page 116 and 117. This is a shorter section, but I found it very interesting. In the present, on an ongoing basis, God deals with our indwelling sinfulness. Uh, those of you who are actively parenting, uh, I won't ask for examples. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself dealing with a child um, when it would be easier to ignore, but you know that for their good you must, right? I remember. Um, sorry to any children of mine who may be in the room, not looking in any given direction. <laughs> I remember um, uh, of, our, of our three daughters, of course, we had two from the time they were born. And in both cases, uh, and the other one too, yeah, but it was, came a little later because she joined us at 16. Each of our kids somewhere along the way had a challenge telling the truth. 
anybody identify with this? I don't mean about your kids. I'm talking about you. <laughs> yeah, telling the truth. And I remember more than once thinking, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> no, I don't want to have to. Come on. <sighs> but I must go into this. It's, I really, I, I so, especially when you as a parent know what the truth is and and a particular child says something different, and you go, oh, no, 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 no. <sighs> because I love you, we have to go here. Because it would be so unkind for me to just let you do that and think it was good. And I think, I think Paulus's point here is that God's anger at sin does the same for us. Oh, I wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't act like, I wish you wouldn't think like that. But I must go here with you because this isn't okay for you. This, this is not all right. As he, as he puts it, self-destructive sinfulness. I know, I know this will hurt you. So it's better that I care for you now than that I ignore this to your own destruction. I think God, uh, in a much greater way than we as parents, can look ahead and see if if we didn't deal with this, where would this be? Um, this little tiger in the cage that's so cute, right? And just take it out and play with it every now and then. It's going to grow into a roaring lion. And at some point, it's going to eat you. And so I'd rather deal with it now when it's cute and fuzzy than when it's really on fire and eating, you know, your left leg. So let's take care of it now. Uh, Our self-destructive sinfulness, yes. And for this, we say thank you, Lord. And this is the Hebrews text. So I'd like to hear this as well. God's anger to our sin works to disarm the power of our sin. This is that that text on God's discipline of us as children, Uh, not not just in losing it, anger. This is constructive um, uh, pressing against sin. This is training. Uh, This is... is, um, this is God's help. So Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. I'm doing this with a plant right now at home. We have a plant that came to us kind of crooked. And so what do you do with a plant that's kind of crooked and is supposed to go a different direction? Yeah, you, you, you put a stick next to it. And you say, okay, no, this way. And if you personify the plant, the plant be going, oh, seriously? I kind of like being bent over sideways. Uh, and we look at it and go, yeah, it's not going to go well. Uh, if you bent over, so here, I'm going to put a stick here. I'm going to tie you up. Sorry. Oh, I feel that. Oh, 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 stretch. Personified. Hebrews 12. Somebody read 5 through 11 for me, please. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. 
No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip of your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Thank you. How many of you have memories of um, having to practice a musical instrument as a child and hating it? Come on now. All right, look around. You're in good company. Share the love. We could get a group for you guys, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes when, uh, when you're in that boat, there's, the, there's the, the parent who says, no, you have to practice 30 minutes a day. I was raised in a family of six kids, of course, and several have played the piano, and my mom was always parceling out these 30-minute slots. And others of us who didn't have to go through that uh, had to listen to it. 30 minutes after 30 minutes after 30 minutes. I mean, my goodness sakes, where do you flee? I'm going to go cut the grass again. Um, <laughs> but that training all the time, that discipline, that doesn't mean my mom was never mad at anybody. Well, for the most part, she didn't make them practice because it was punishment. The, the discipline was so that they would learn the sorry piano and get better at it, possibly. Okay, so the, the training was, it wasn't retribution. It wasn't, you're in trouble now, you have to practice the piano. Oh, no, please, not that. Practice. It wasn't that at all. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, we're providing piano lessons for you, and we want you to get good at this, so we're going to train you. So 30 minutes a day, you get to, it's discipline. But it wasn't anger discipline. It wasn't punishment discipline. It was training training, hoping somehow that this will stick. And a couple of them it did. Others of them grew up and fled from the piano. I understand. God's work, that, uh, anger works then to disarm the power of our sin. And then, and then these, again, to wrap up chapter 10. I'm especially captured by this next one. Uh, God's anger delivers us from the pain of others' sins. The Lord is angry at people who seek to hurt us. On the final day, all causes of pain will be destroyed forever. How does, how does all of that work? It's a great section there on page 117. Um, people have hurt us. I, um, one of the books on my, in my stack of to-read books is this one. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I couldn't tell you if it's good or not yet, but I've read the reviews, and I think it's going to be a good one. It's entitled Suffering and the Heart of God, and the subtitle, How Trauma Destroys and Christ Restores. And um, I think it's going to be a, a, a good read. Diane Langberg. Berg has 40 years looking into the eyes of those wounded by evil. She has a powerful voice for healing, justice, and truth. Says Greg Pritchard, director of the European Leadership Forum. Hey, right, one of the good guys. I'd like to see what that's about. God's anger at sin has these little areas where he, where he works. And, and um those of you in this room, uh, whom I know a number of you who have at some point in your life been sincerely injured by other people's sin. Somehow to know that there is a day when, when God will make things right. What exactly that looks like, 
I, I don't entirely know. On the final day, all causes of pain will be destroyed forever. Somehow, him making all things new. Somehow, him restoring. Um, one of these texts, I don't remember which one, talks about how, indeed, there are some bruises that will only be fully and finally healed in heaven. I think that's a reality, isn't it? And if you've got some of those bruises that are so deep, you know that. Yes, God is caring for me. I'm not where I used to be. But um, it will take heaven for that to be fully satisfied. Well, heaven is a part of this, a deliverance from the pain of other sins. And it's a, that's a profound um, reflection, I think. And then Paulison wraps it up with that last one. God's anger protects us from ourselves. And, of course, that's on page 118. God's anger protects us from ourselves. Um, the, he, very interesting phrase, middle of page 118. The constructive displeasure of mercy makes God's anger your friend. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The constructive displeasure of mercy makes God's anger your friend. The displeasure of mercy. Interesting. It's a merciful displeasure. Um, some of you, again, to refer to children, and we are God's children, so I find the analogies often really fit. Some of you have children, either <clears throat> younger or grown now, who take a very firm hand to learn a lesson. Those are those children that you say, stay in this room. Don't, you can go anywhere you want in this room, but don't leave. And the first thing that they're going to do, the very first thing, is they're going to walk over to that door and look at you and put their foot out there and see what happens. They are. You know about this. And you're going to say, oh, please. I mean, there's 101 things to do. Just, just stay in the room. This isn't hard. Just don't do that. And they're going to go there. They're going to go there. Others of you have those soft-hearted children who, who, for whom displeasure is just like worse than a spanking. And you're, they're thinking of something, and you look over there and give a slight, uh-uh-uh, and immediately they go, oh, dear. I would never want my parent figure to be disappointed with me. I better hurry over here to this side of the room. Some of you who have the first kind of, signed kind of kids, you have know, no idea what that's like. Like, oh, those kinds of kids exist. Well, they do. Um gentle kids how, how many times do you have to spank them oh I don't know spank them not much because they just have such a tender conscience and the, the worst thing would be displeasure some of us are like that with God some of us um, so long to live before God in an honorable way all it would take is a little nudge of the spirit of God and we come quickly running back I'm so sorry God I felt the nudge of the spirit of God tender conscience man I'm going to repent for the next week and we'll get I will never even think of that again no more speeding through Fircrest I promise I will go I will go 24 and, and others of us go I, I didn't sense that at all and so we're, we got the hammer down and it's like, man, another ticket. What's the problem here? Well, you understand. It's not about tickets. It's about God's hand and the spirit of God. I didn't hear that. And a firmer hand from the hand of God. Hmm. God's anger protects us from ourselves. The constructive displeasure of God, of mercy makes God's anger your friend. Um, thank you, Lord, for correcting me. 
You ever think that? Lord, thank you for the rebuke I just felt. Heard that. I heard that. (laughs) I felt that. That was a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, you, you, You want this, don't you? You want your conscience to be tuned into the Holy Spirit where it doesn't take a two by four, so to speak, from the loving hand of God to say, uh-uh, don't do that. It's going to hurt. You want your conscience to be such that the Holy Spirit can nudge you in his mercy and you say, okay, Lord, yes, thank you. I hear you. I hear you. So I'd like you to talk about this. This is a talk at your table for a little bit, okay? Uh, take five is what I'm asking here. What, what can we learn about God from thinking about his wrath? And what can we learn about our anger as we think about God's anger? So I'd like you to reflect on that. It's exactly what I told you we were going to do as we began this section. Uh, but I'd like you to talk about that together. Both of those, five minutes, I'll call it when it's done, and then we'll take about a 10-minute break or so and let you reload on coffee or use the restroom or whatever you might need. But talk, talk time is now, so ready, go. Uh, we'll take a 10-minute break. 10 till is our target to come back. Um, if this hour was thinking theologically about anger, the next one is more about thinking practically about anger, and uh, so that'll be a a little bit of a shift here, but come back at 10 till if you wish, and um, we'll be ready to go again.